Hello, and welcome back to the Endeavor podcast and video show. I'm Jason Breitkopf, one of the hosts. With me today is Dr. Wanda Montanez. Those of you who have uh, been listening to the podcast will be familiar with Wanda, as she's been on for at least two episodes so far. Uh, but she's new to the video show. Wanda, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Um, it's Friday, so I guess it's the end of a long week. A very long week. I understand. And it's not just any old Friday. It's uh, the Friday that for a lot of parents, students, families, teachers, uh, it's SAT score report day. So the March uh, SAT happened a few weeks ago. And score reports are starting to come out. We've been getting uh, word from our students, our friends, that score reports are starting to go out uh, and paper ones will be following the online reports. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is SAT score reports. For those uh, who are listening at home on the audio podcast and not watching the video show, I'm holding up a sample SAT score report. I downloaded this score report, this sample one, from the College Board website where it's free to do so. Uh, They provide a sample report with a full uh, explanation. Uh, But it's very wordy, and so we thought it would be a good idea to walk you through it. So if you've received either the score report online or uh, a paper one, uh, take a moment to pause the video or pause the audio podcast and go grab your report. Or if you're just listening while you're commuting, um, you can check it out at home. Uh, so, Wanda, uh, we were talking before the, the show began, you are saying you haven't seen one of these in a while. Yes, I haven't. The, I think the last one I saw was kind of old school on like the printed paper, mm-hmm. so it's been a while. Yeah, I mean, they do send those out still. Oh, do they? Yeah, they do send those out, um, and I'm currently not sure if colleges still get the paper one or they only get the digital one. You mean high schools? No, colleges, when students submit oh, them got to it. colleges. Oh, um, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I, ha- I haven't spoken to any of my uh, uh, friends who work at colleges recently about that. So I should probably follow up on that. Um, so basically, if you have in front of you, uh, there's a lot of confusion about what all of this means. It's not just a simple score. There's a ton of information on these score reports. So I just want to kind of go through it with you and talk it out and yeah, see what's on here. So uh, this sample one, if you download it from the website, the student's name is I'm a good student. Uh, the College Board, always that fountain of, of mature humor. Um, I'm a good. So I'm a good. Uh, took the SAT in May of 2017. Um, and so they have all the personal information in the top right corner, the date of birth, the gender of the student, what high school the student went to, etc. So the first thing we see is and hopefully if you're watching the video show we've put up a, a, a copy of this so you can take a look at it in the top left corner of the scoreboard is the total score so interestingly enough before you even see the two separate section scores you see the total score so what do, what do we see here Wanda what do we have um, can I just kind of backtrack sure. over to the right side where you kind of have some of this student information sure um, one of the things that I wanted to highlight is the high school code um, this code is something that students should know. Maybe just take a note of it, put it in your phone, put it in a notebook somewhere. Um, because this number, you're going to need it when you are applying um, for colleges. It's going to ask for it on your Common App. 
there is a way to look up your, your school um, on the Common App without the code, but if you have the code, it just makes it a lot easier. That makes sense. That's a great point. Yeah. Thank you. Um, again, you can see the difference between someone who's more of a test prep teacher versus someone who's more of a college counselor. Different perspectives, which is why I wanted Wanda here to go over this with me, um, even though I'm probably going to end up doing more of the talking because <laughs> this is what I do for a job. Um, so we got the total score on the left. Uh, the total score on this particular sample for I'm a good student is 10-10. And in your opinion as a college counselor, what does that score mean to you? Um, so I think that, I think when a student gets this report, that's probably the only thing that is really of interest to them. Mm -hmm. um, a 10-10 for me means that there's a lot of room for a student to do um, better on the test. Um, a 10-10 really is lower than, um, for sure, some of the more competitive schools would want to see on your SATs. Um, but I think that the 10-10 also signifies that there are some strengths in some areas and some challenges in some areas. You know what, I actually completely 100% agree with you there. Um, the big thing that you said that for me as, an, uh, as a teacher, both as an, a teacher who's worked in public schools and as a test prep instructor for the last 15, 20 years, is that room for growth. There's room for growth here, especially if this is the first time a student has taken the SAT, uh, and especially if they haven't had any prep yet. They've taken this cold, there's so much room to grow. There's so much that they can brush up on, uh, learn about, study skills and test prep skills and really improve and uh, achieve their goals. So for those uh, at home, the SAT is scored on a scale of 400 to 1600. And you may have heard that, that, that number 1600 before, especially if you as a parent has taken the SAT back in the day, you might be, oh 1600 that's the best score or the perfect score. Um, so what that means is, is that the median or middle score is around 1,000. So this student, I'm a good student, <laughs> I love that fake name, uh, this student scored just a hair above the median, right in the middle of the pack. Uh, in fact, right beneath that, uh, there are some percentiles. And the percentiles are confusing because they don't really mean very much. I don't, at least in my experience, colleges don't look at the percentiles. No, not that I am aware of. Right, they look at the score. Right. That's what they care about. Uh, but the percentiles here is this student scored at the 50th percentile in the national representative sample percentile, but in the 36th percentile in the SAT user percentile. So I looked that up and I wanted to know why are there are two percentiles. Yeah. And according to the College Board's website, the nationally representative sample percentile is based on what they'd expect from a series of independent studies that the College Board looked at that they didn't personally, not person, they're not a person, it's a company, right. that they didn't uh, author or uh, pay for, they, they didn't sponsor. So these are independent studies by third party scholars, organizations, schools, mm -hmm. universities that say based on their uh, research, a student scoring 1010 should be in the middle. But according to the actual students who took the SAT on May 6, 2017, that 1010 is at the 36th percentile, meaning it's well below average. What do you think um, is a better indicator for the student? You know, I hesitate. Like Again, this podcast, teachers are going to listen to it, school administrators, um, students are going to uh, look at this on, on video or watch it, parents are going to watch it. 
So I'm going to talk about percentile just so they understand what it is on the report, but it's not important. Yeah. So I actually say if you have the discipline, don't look at either. <laughs> but um, they both are, are, are valuable. Basically, not every high school student takes the SAT. Mm -hmm. There are some high school students who don't take it, either because they're taking the ACT only right. or they're not college bound. Or they don't think they're going to go to college, so, they, uh, so they're not taking the SAT right now. Mm -hmm. So that means that it's not a perfectly applicable sample compared to the real population of American high school students. So that's why I think the SAT user percentile is a little skewed, yeah. because it's a self-selecting group. The nationally representative sample percentile is compared to all students in the United States, and it includes those students who are choosing not to take the SAT. So I think that's probably a little bit more accurate, and it does line up with what we'd expect as 1,000 being the median score. Right. So I think that that one is a little bit more accurate. Okay. Right next to the total score, uh, off to the side, a little bit smaller, so, you're, so you don't notice it as much, are the essay scores. Interestingly, the thing that I'm going to talk about in a few minutes with Wanda, uh, the section scores are more important in my opinion, but let's talk about the essay scores for a second. Um, now I know that as a college counselor, You've worked with students who are applying, and you've talked about their scores for years. Uh, recently, how do you feel about the essay scores? Um, again, I don't really put too much weight on the essay scores. Um, I think that on the college side, when you are able to see the actual essay with the score, um, there may be some comparative analysis that's done between that and what the student actually submits in their application. Mm -hmm. um, but from the college counseling perspective, I don't know that there's anything in here that you know, I would pull out and have a sit down conversation with a student about. I agree completely. The essay scores as scores are far less useful. From the college counselors and college admissions officers who I know, uh, they're considered as scores much less than they used to be, just like you said. Mm -hmm. That the essay itself, the writing sample, is still important because like you just said, they do like to compare it to your prepared college application essay, which, let's be honest, many high schools across the country are having students who are juniors start working on them. Right. I've taught those classes, I know you have taught yep. those classes in college application essay writing to juniors. They may be working on it all summer long. They get back their senior year and they work on it again. So that whether they apply early decision, early admission, or regular admission, they may have worked on that essay for six months. Right. So that essay should be perfect. So they like to, the college admissions officers, I mean when I say they, they like to compare that essay to something more extemporaneous, like the SAT essay, just in terms of the writing style, the student's voice, things like that. Yeah. But the scores are not important in and do of themselves. You, do you think that as there was a recent um, story that came out that some of the... Um, you know, high-flying, uh, more competitive uh, colleges and universities are doing away with the need to, to report the essay um, score on the SAT. Do you think that that will have an impact on whether it will get, it'll be gone altogether? This is probably a separate podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I think it's a good question to ask right now because this is what a lot of parents are asking when they see these scores yeah. because they, they don't look like they mean anything. They're separate. They don't affect your total score. You know, it's hard to say. The College Board, and this is a, like a statement of record, the College Board has said this. The College Board added the essay to the SAT in 2005 and the ACT followed suit the mm -hmm. same year because 
colleges and universities, specifically the Ivy League schools and the University of California system, told them to do it. Got it. So they added the essay because colleges told them to add it. They'll keep it on the essay until colleges tell them they don't want it. That's, gonna, that's what's going to happen if it happens. Yeah. What I'm hearing through the grapevine is that while colleges are more and more ignoring the score, they still want to see the essay. Because what happens is, even though you, as a parent or student, when you get your score report, you might not have your essay. And I have seen score reports come with a scan of your essay. This sample one does not come with a scan of an essay if you download it. But I've seen parents and students bring their actual from in the mail from the College Board score report in with a scan of their essay and they see it in their own handwriting and of course the students are always horrified that mom and dad saw their handwriting. Uh, colleges get the same thing. They get a copy of the essay in the student's handwriting. Uh, not typed up, not transcribed in the student's handwriting. So colleges still get the essay. So I think so long as colleges feel that it's valuable to have that extemporaneous on-the-spot essay writing sample, they'll continue to support the college board and the ACT people um, having an essay on the test. Got it. That's just my opinion though. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a handful of colleges that still require right. scores. There's not a ton. No, the, in the last two years, a lot of them have gone to, uh, we want the essay, we don't care about the scores, right. that model. Mm -hmm. Okay, so specifically this essay, uh, you'll notice how there's three separate scores. Uh, there's a reading score, an analysis score and a writing score. They give you the scale of two to eight, two being the lowest score, eight being the highest. Therefore, five is the median. Uh, this sample essay, I'm a good student's uh, score report shows that she got a four, four, four. So that's a below average essay. And when I have a student who does the essay, and again, keep in mind that both for the SAT and ACT, the essay is optional. So when a student takes the essay, if they got a score like this, I don't know about what you would say, but I would say take the essay again. Right. Work on it. Get at least fives again because the score isn't the most important part, but you do want to write an essay that is good. And this score is feedback. Mm -hmm. It's valuable for feedback. Right. Yeah. So if you want to know a little bit more about what the three different metrics, reading, analysis, and writing mean, uh, there's going to be a separate uh, series of videos uh, either with myself or some of our other hosts like Nikhil or Neil where we're going to go into uh, instruction which includes understanding what those mean. Below that we have the section scores and this is really more important than it looks because it's so tiny on here but it's super important because we're going to talk about something called super scoring in just a second. In this instance I'm a good uh, got a 490 in the English score and of course they don't call it English. They call it evidence-based reading and writing score. Reading and writing, that's English. And so we just call it the English score. And, the, and I'm a good got a score of 520 in math. Now before we go into what the percentiles are or other information that you might see on the score report, as a college counselor, what do you think about these individual scores? Um, again, I think the, it signifies similar to the total score that there's definitely room for improvement. Obviously, I'm a good um, is is better at um, math at least for the purposes of this particular exam. Um, but the scores are probably relatively average. I don't think that mm -hmm. there's anything, um, you know, with the 490, 520 that jumps out as, you know, this kid knocked it out of the park. Right. Um, but I do think that the scores are reasonable, um, and given the 1010 total you know, 
think, thinking about a particular student and their GPA, um, you would still be certainly admissible to many institutions with a with a 1010 and a you know 490 520 breakdown. One thing to be aware of that I'm a good is probably going to take the SAT again. This is you know the May of her junior year. She's got some tests in the summer and fall that she can take before her applications are due. But let's pretend for a second that she takes the test again in August. She scores the exact same 520 on her math, but improves her. Uh, in fact, I apologize. She goes down 10 points to a 510 in math, but improves her English score to a 530. What would happen, instead of the colleges to which she's applying taking her total score from that testing versus this testing, they would take the better math score from this testing and the better English score from the second testing and create this fake score that's called a super score. It's results from real tests, but separate tests. And this is done, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, this is done in my, in my observation, both to help the student, but also to make the college look good because it makes the scores look better overall if they take the better score from different testings. Yep, Have you heard something similar? Yeah, absolutely. The higher the scores, everybody wins. Yeah. So if you look at this, if you've downloaded this sample SAT score report from the College Board website, you might notice that again they have percentiles and you might notice also that they have some uh, color-coded marks uh, to the right of the scores. They have a green check mark or a green circle with a white check mark in it and it says you've met the benchmark for the English score of 490. Yet the math score of 520, which is 30 points higher, it's a higher score. They have a yellow circle with an exclamation point, which says you've scored below the benchmark. So even though the math score is higher, it doesn't meet the benchmark, whatever that is. And the oh, benchmark- right here, the benchmark score. Mm -hmm. Yeah, off to the right, they give you actually the national benchmark scores. So basically what they're saying is, is that on average, they expect American high school students to score higher in math than in English. That's interesting. So that's based on their internal data, and that's something that they don't share generally. Um, but they do have like an explanation of it here, but where they come up with that is probably based on the numbers they're seeing from actual scores. Right. So that's interesting that even though, both in terms of percentile and actual score, I'm a good scored 30 points higher in math, she didn't hit the benchmark. That's interesting. That is interesting. That seems to be... Um a little bit high, no? Again... Well, that would be an average, so I guess it's right. not, yeah. Right, and again, if you add up the two benchmarks, 530 and 470, that, reach, that reaches 1,000. Right. No. So I think it just has to do with the focus on STEM uh, over mm -hmm. the last 15 years yeah. that uh, math scores would go up. I mean, and again, if you're listening at home and you don't know what STEM is, that's uh, science, technology, engineering, and math, and a lot of public school systems and private schools have uh, put a lot of focus on those skills for various reasons uh, over the last 15 years. So that's, in my opinion, the most important information on the score report. Your section scores and your total score. And if you care, just as feedback in case you want to take the essay again, your essay scores. Now below that, we're going to see some more scores that qu people question. Like we could theoretically end the podcast right now because we've talked about the important stuff. But I don't want to do that because again, the whole point is how do I read this document? And if you're listening at home, you hear me holding up the paper. How do I read this document? So let's kind of dive a little deeper into some more of the other numbers so you know what they are, even though, and I think Wanda, you'll agree with me, 
They're not super important for your purposes. You're not going to put them on your application. And colleges don't tend to look at them, but they do provide more context. Yes, agreed. So beneath that, we see the, the subtest scores, uh, the reading score, the writing and language score, and the math score. So this math score, I want to go to that one first just because it's a single score. It's basically the raw score of how many questions you got right versus wrong. Mm. And you'll notice that it is literally half the total score. And that's pretty much comparable how it's, they're related. So they should be related. On the other hand, the reading score and the writing and language score are your individual scores on those sections. The reading section and the writing and language section. So we talked about how I'm a good, got a 490 in the English. You'll notice that her reading score is a 22 on this sample score report and her writing and language score is a 27. So that means that she did noticeably better on the writing and language section, which is the grammar skills section, than she did on the reading. And that would, that's why I want you to look at this because it, it'll help a student recognize, oh, the reason I scored what I did on the English is because my reading needs work. Not that, and again, this is not saying that I'm a good who's an 11th grader, theoretically, can't read. Of course she can read. She did well enough on the SAT. Uh, but her skills in reading critically and understanding how to defeat the puzzles on the SAT show that that needs some work. Yeah, and I think, you know, to your point, I think a lot of, there's good information in here, but I don't think that students or families or even counselors sometimes take the time to um, sit with a student and really dissect what this means. Yeah. Particularly, I think it would be helpful if a student is going to take the exam again, mm -hmm. so that you can forward plan on, um, you know, what areas to focus on while you're taking the test to increase your scores a little bit. Absolutely. I would say this... These scores are more diagnostic than actually useful for applications. Right. So that way you could, you could diagnose, oh, I need more work in reading than I need in grammar. Even though the grammar still it's a 27, it's not the highest score possible. I could work on that as well, but more work is needed in reading. Correct. All right. Beneath that, you have the cross-test scores. In, again, the print is getting smaller as it becomes less and less important. <laughs> I mean, that's just my interpretation, but it is getting smaller on this sample score report. There are two cross-test scores, analysis and history social studies, and analysis and science. And I got to tell you, these are new to the SAT starting in 2016, and it's more information that the college board provides, but I don't think this is very important. This is, this is kind of their way of competing with the ACT. Right. That's just really what it is. These, like, as a test prep teacher, I don't have any response to these numbers. They don't mean anything, and I wouldn't have any prescriptive plan to address these in instruction. Yeah, again, that's the first thing that I thought about when I saw this was that it's like a clear indication that um, that was an add-on simply because the ACT has something that's very similar. Yeah. And then as you get beneath that, you see subscores that are on a scale of 1 to 15. And these are... Um, different topics within the reading, grammar, and math sections. Uh, command of evidence, words and context, expression of ideas, standard English conventions. Those are all sub-topics within the different English sections. Heart of algebra, problem solving, advanced math are all topics within the math. And again, they're not very important. Colleges don't necessarily look at these numbers for admission, but 
again, they might be diagnostic. You know, if your algebra score and your problem solving and data analysis scores are very different, you might say, oh, I need more algebra work or I need more work in statistics. But in this particular instance on I'm a goods report, they're all relatively similar. So they don't, they're not giving me really useful information. And there's, they seem to be pretty average given the yeah. range. Yeah. So again, not, again, the smaller it is, the less useful it looks, it seems. So that's the front. On the back is something that's uh, pretty interesting. And I do want to bring this up because I get a lot of questions about this. And I think you probably do too, which is, um, does it matter if I send my scores? And will my, the colleges that I'm applying to, will they see my old bad scores? I hear that a lot. Yes. That's a question that we get often. And so again, I'm going to hold the paper up and hopefully our delightful editor will um, put it up on the screen so you can look at this side of the page and those who are listening at home, you can again download this from the College Board website and look at this. So I'm a good, apparently has taken the SAT one time and it's listed here on her SAT summary of scores and you'll see that there's five blank spaces. So on this single report, they'll show you up to six scores. I don't know a lot of students who take the SAT six times. I've never worked with a student who's taken the SAT six times. In fact, in my experience, most students take it two, three, sometimes four times. Right. And if you're really obsessive about it, like, you know, oh, someone who's wearing blue argyle on a podcast in March, um, you might have taken the SAT five times. <laughs> Those of you listening at home, I just waved at the camera because that's me. I took it five times back in the day because I wanted to achieve a particular score for the school that was my top choice. So I'm a good has taken the test once and it shows her uh, scores. It also has six spaces for the old SAT that was administered before March of 2016. And unsurprisingly, as a high school junior, I'm a good has not taken the old SAT because that would have been two years ago and she would have been in ninth grade. So. It also shows something interesting. I'm a good took the SAT subject tests in November of 2016, which is an interesting time to take the subject tests, in my opinion. Um, according to this report, she took three subject tests, Japanese with listening, one of the less common subject tests, chemistry, a medium common one, and a very common one, literature. And it has her scores on here. So basically, every time you take either an SAT or an SAT subject test and you get scores, all your previous scores are going to be on here. That's great for a student or for anybody just so that you can have an easy way to compare your test scores you know, across all of the tests that you've taken section by section. I think that's really helpful. I agree. Now, one of the big concerns that a lot of students tell me is, or mention to me is, oh no, I don't want colleges to see my old scores. Mm -hmm. They're going to hold it against me. I don't think that's true. What, what are your thoughts? Um, I don't know that colleges will hold it against you, but I do think that um, if you have an SAT test where you may have scored significantly low in math um, one sitting and then you you know, increase your score by like 200, 300 points the next time. I think that there's just some room for pause for the admissions counselor, mm -hmm. but I don't think that it's a situation where you wouldn't be accepted into a university or a college because there's been a significant jump or a significant dip. That's interesting that you bring that up. I was working with a student a couple of weeks ago and he told me his crazy plan. Mm -hmm. And I, by the way, I advise him not to do this, but he basically told me that he was going to 
go into the test having really worked on math and just kind of float through the English side, the reading and the grammar, not worry about it. Basically, just answer questions or not, not worry about running out of time and you know, zero, just basically bottom out his score there and focus all of, and like save up his energy because the math comes at the second half of the SAT testing that day. Uh, spend all of his energy on the math and max out a score. Then, that was gonna be in March and then take it again in May or June and do the exact opposite. Max out his English score and really, to the point of not even paying attention to the math, so I just fill in bubbles just so that he you know, can show that he, he finished the test. Uh, and that way use that super score to his advantage. And I said, no, that, if there's like hundreds of points of difference between one testing and the next, that might make the college board and colleges look at you funny. Right. Which is the language I use. I mean, again, I'm working with a high school student. I, you know, I wasn't being technical with him. So, so you're saying that, that that actually is a thing that some people might say, I wonder what's going on there. Yeah, I think so. I think um, it just adds an, another layer for you know, uh, college admissions rep to consider as they're making a decision. So again, but, I, but I, that student is not alone because I've worked with, really? I've worked with a few students who um, have said the exact same thing to me, particularly if they've taken the test and they performed you know, less well in one section over the other, they feel like, all right, the next time I go, I'm gonna focus solely on math or solely on English. Hmm. Um, not really for this, not really to get the advantage of um, taking the test again, but really to take advantage of the super score. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't recommend that, but I mean, I'd like to see what happens with these students. Like, does it affect their admissions? Get some data on that, and then I'd have a better understanding of how to advise students. To say, well, that's your choice, or to say, definitely don't do that. These students I've heard of, I got feedback, and they did, you know, really affected them. I'd like to hear back from those students because yeah, I think that's. I think that would be actually be great research. Someone should do yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> so one last thing I want to talk about before we wrap up on this score report is uh, those SAT subject test scores. Uh, this, on this sample score report, I'm a good took the SAT subject test in November of 2016, and uh, chemistry just that seems like an odd time to take the chemistry test. My recommendation to students is normally take a subject test in that sort of subject where you usually take a class in it uh, at the end of the school year, May or June, right. especially if you're doing AP or honors near when you're taking your final so you're as primed for that test as possible. Is that sound advice in your opinion? Yes, it is. And I think that's advice that we probably, um, that I've given students for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whereas literature is, because it's based on multiple years of English classes at the mm -hmm. honors level or higher, I think you can take that subject test any time. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit more free. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So long as you're comfortable with poetry, because uh, of the seven passages on the literature test, at least three will be poetry. As long as you're comfortable with poetry, the literature uh, test is a good one to take for most students, and I've seen students do really well on it. Um, and lastly, the Japanese test. Again, if you've had years of Japanese and you feel, or whatever language, Spanish, French, etc., Mandarin, whatever language you're taking the subject test in, um, so long as you feel comfortable with it and you feel like you're going to be successful, you could take it pretty much any time. Yeah. Uh, one, I don't know about you, but this is one uh, warning I give to students about the languages. You know, think about if you're an American. You grew up in the United States, you grew up speaking English, and you've gone to school, and you've worked in English your whole life. So you're pretty fluent, <laughs> you'd say. And that's how I feel about the literature test. Like, I'd have no problem with the literature test or the English side 
of the SAT for, for those students. But I feel you, you should have at least some level of fluency and competency in, in a language that isn't English to take the subject test. So I use what I call the parachute test. What is that? So let's take the Japanese one, or you could do this with the Spanish one or any other language. So if I were to parachute you into um, the rural part of Japan, not the big city where you'd expect to find people who speak English, but parachute you into the rural part of Japan where no one speaks English, they only speak Japanese. Mm -hmm. Is your Japanese strong enough to communicate to that person, hey, I've been abandoned in the middle of Japan, I have no money, no ID, can I get help and make your way back to um, where you can get home? I know I couldn't. I don't speak Japanese. And I certainly wouldn't be able to communicate effectively in Japan in a rural area where no one speaks English. If I had no cell phone with a translator app, no money, no ID, I'd have a hard time. And I talk to students about the language tests, whether it's Japanese, German, French, whatever. If you're parachuted into a country where that's the dominant language and you can't communicate effectively with the random guy on the, on the street, that might not be the right test for you. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think that makes that makes good sense. I think it's, um, you know, you don't want to try to game the system in a way that um, doesn't really work to your advantage. Um, so I think that's great advice. No. And feel free to use that uh, with your students or advisees if you're a college counselor, teacher, school administrator, or even a parent. The parachute test. So I think that covers um, most of what's on this score report. Um, again, the score reports change over time. There might be information on your score report if you're watching this video uh, you know, down the line that's different from the one that's on this score report. So um, you know, maybe we'll, as, if things change or they change the test again, we'll update this video or do a new one, I mean, uh, or this podcast episode. So for now, I think that covers it all. Any last thoughts about the SAT score report from a college counseling perspective? Um, I don't think I have any, you know, anything that's like groundbreaking. Um, but I do think that the, the biggest piece of advice for, um, a student from a college counselor perspective is to take the time to look through the scores and see if there are pieces of information that you can draw from it that again will help you the next time you take the test. That makes perfect sense. Thank you so much, Wanda. Thank you. So this is Jason Breitkopf. This is the Endeavor Podcast with my guest, Dr. Wanda Montanez. Uh, please feel free to comment uh, if you're watching the video below in the YouTube channel. If you're listening at home in your favorite podcast app, please feel free to rate us, to make a comment, uh, to share and like. Uh, the more you talk about us, the more you comment, the more people will find us and we can continue to have these great conversations about SATs, college counseling, education, high school and college. Thank you so much, and as always, let's keep learning.